Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we are joined by our teaching pastor, Ian Simpkins, as we continue our series, Advent Conspiracy. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Well, good morning, everyone. That's an impossible act to follow. I, uh, maybe I'll incorporate some dancing into today's message. Uh, all right. You haven't seen me dance, apparently. Um, before we dive into the message, I want to make just one more announcement, and it's a really exciting, special one. Perhaps you saw on social media that today, our very first community music live recording is available. Let me, yes, please, yes. Let me encourage you, uh, not just simply to think about our space here, but the impact that we're confident that God is going to have globally through these songs. This, this is something that I actually was able to be a part of, um, uh, and this team that's recorded this um, have, have done so with the utmost of excellence, and there's a special additional feature that you may not be aware of, and I'll model it for you here. Do you understand? Yes. So here's what I want you to think of. Don't think of this album simply as something that you can get for yourself. I would encourage you, buy a dozen, buy two dozen, give them to your friends. This is objectively not only incredible music and musicianship, but the message is powerful. And we have uh, the fullest confidence that God is going to do something at a global level through these songs. So uh, those CDs are available for $10 in the lobby. Um, we do accept credit card as well. So if you're thinking I don't have cash, uh, we have you covered. But I would highly encourage you pick up a bunch, give them to friends and family, coworkers, even strangers if you'd like. And uh, we're confident that God is going to do something really, really powerful uh, through those songs and through community music. Okay. So with that, uh, let me pray for us and then we'll dive into week three of Advent Conspiracy. Father, uh, thank you for the gift of another day of breath in our lungs of children and the joy that they bring, uh, in many ways reminding us, God, of what Christmas is really, truly about. I pray, God, in these coming moments that you would quiet our hearts, that you would give us the ability to really hear what it is you have for us today, and may you be glorified in all that we say and do. We pray these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. Okay, so to start off this morning, I have a question I'd like to ask each of you. It's this. What's the most memorable gift you received last year for Christmas? What is the most memorable gift you received last year for Christmas? Some of you are scratching your heads. Some of you perhaps can't remember anything that you got. While you ponder that question, we actually sent a team into Chicago to ask this same question. So while you think of your answer, let's listen to theirs. Hey everybody, Alec Bramlett here in downtown Chicago. I'm right here on the Magnificent Mile because it's Christmas time in the city and we're here to talk to some Christmas shoppers about Christmas shopping and Christmas. Simply having wonderful Christmas time. Hey, can I ask you a question about Christmas? We're asking everybody the same question. What's the most memorable Christmas gift that you received last year? I 
can't think. I can't remember. Uh, it. Did you celebrate? Did you celebrate Christmas last year? Yeah. And did you spend Christmas with loved ones? With my family. Yeah. And did they get you any Christmas gifts? They did. What is your most memorable Christmas gift you received from last year? My most memorable Christmas? I don't know. Um, what did I even get? Um. It's Christmas time in the city. What's the most memorable Christmas gift you received last year? Last year. Memorable. Um, like the gift that you remember the most. Um. Um. <laughs> oh gosh. I don't remember. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember what I got last year. <laughs> Can anyone relate? Right? You not only struggled to remember the most memorable gift, you struggled to remember any at all, right? Okay, so this is what I want to ask. Shouldn't that at least cause us to stop and ask why? Why? Why every year at this time? I can see it in some of your faces, the stress and strain and anxiety of this, the feverish spending. Shouldn't that cause us to at least step back and say, Why? Or maybe how? How did we get to this point? Well, there's actually a couple of theories. I did some research to the origins of gift giving at Christmas time, and pretty much what we found out was that no one can agree. There's some theories, right? We do know that the wise men who brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh brought gifts to Jesus. Some trace it back to the fourth century. There are people in Europe and the Middle East that uh, had this gift giving as a part of this massive celebration to this pagan God. And so the early church wanted to kind of counteract that by throwing their own party, but they knew that if they didn't incorporate gift giving, people would be furious. And so some argue that that's the origins. Some historians claim that buying Christmas gifts actually began in the early uh, 1800s when the, the gap was emerging between the elite and the working class. And the idea it was this, that parents uh, would give gifts to their kids as a way uh, to keep them from the corrupting influence of the lower class. Wow, that just rings with Christmas spirit, doesn't it? Now, before you start throwing tomatoes at me, I'm not saying we shouldn't buy gifts. Some of you are like, we're never coming back to this church. This guy makes me angry. But I would contend that the very first gift at that very first Christmas was a different kind of gift. And here's what I think. I think if we understand that gift, it will radically change the way that we celebrate Christmas each year. We're we're in week three of this series called Advent Conspiracy. And the basic premise is this, that we want to conspire together to not miss Christmas this year. To not let all the calendars and responsibilities and purchasing frenzy choke out the joy of what Christmas was supposed to be. The wonder of God with us this season. So what would that look like? Because it's not surprising that while many of us miss Christmas today because of all of those things, a lot of people then missed Christmas as well. In fact, when Jesus came in the form of a baby, almost everyone missed it. Maybe they were preoccupied. Maybe they weren't paying attention. But only a handful of people fully experienced it. 
So this year, let's not rush by the nativity, okay? Let's not just merely glance at it. Let's gaze at it. Let's pause long enough to understand the gift that came that very first Christmas. And so to understand that gift, I think we've got to go all the way to the beginning. In the beginning here, there's a man named John, one of Jesus' close friends, and he wrote this in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. And you may notice that the word word there is capitalized, and we'll get to that in a second. Another translation puts it this way. Um, before time itself, before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. Now, this word, word here is the word logos. Let me hear you say logos. Now, what you may not know is that logos did not originate here with John. It was actually the Greek philosophers that came up with this word logos that simply meant the absolute center of the universe, the soul of the universe. And Greek thought was essentially this, that if I can align myself with sort of the center, the soul of this universe, things will go well for me, but John says here that the Logos is unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. He's saying you're looking at principles and abstractions and books of law, but the Logos is something different. The true Logos is the thing we're to live for, but it's not some source. It's not some impersonal place. It's person. John is contending that this word, this voice is not a concept. It's not a language. It's a person. John goes on. says, the voice was and is God. This celestial word remained ever present with the creator. So John is describing this enigmatic relationship between the father and the son that we know in theology uh, is called the Trinity. And what he's explaining here is powerful and profound because while the Trinity is complex, I don't want you to miss what he's saying here. He's saying, yes, Jesus came in the form of a baby that first Christmas, but Jesus pre-existed the nativity. He was with the father in the very beginning. I think what John is doing here is brilliant. This is essentially what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus, next slide. Jesus is God who always was. Jesus is God who always was. And I think that's the greatest truth this Christmas. He goes on, he says, The voice took on flesh and became human and chose to live alongside us. I I think, personally, that's one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. The one who is speaking before time itself even began that one, that God came to, to live alongside us. Not off on some distant planet, not as some impersonal force. He didn't just write a letter. He didn't just send a representative. He didn't even just like, speak his laws from a mountaintop. He came as one of us. The infinite became an infant. That for us, changes everything. The gift God gave us that very first Christmas was himself. That's the gift he gave us. And I love the way the message paraphrase puts it. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. 
I love that picture. God's gift of himself wasn't temporary. It wasn't, I'm going to hang out for a bit. I can maybe do a couple of book signings, a couple of potlucks, and then I'm out. He moved into the neighborhood. He put on flesh and blood and came near to us. So here's, here's the bottom line. When we look into the manger, we see the gift of God, who is God Emmanuel, God with us. The very first Christmas present was a relational gift. God gave himself. I think our gift giving can actually reflect this. The power and beauty of the very first Christmas gift, when we learn that it was relational, we can learn to give ourselves too. So what does that look like? Well, my hope is that for today, we can talk a bit about what it means to give more, but not just simply to give more of our resources, but to give more of ourselves, because I would argue and contend that really is truly what all of us need and want at the heart level. So first, God's gift was personal. Luke 2 records it this way. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to who? To you. He is the Messiah the Lord. Don't miss this today. Yes, God came for the whole world, for the cosmos, for everyone who would ever be, but he also came for you and for you and for you and for me. See, I think it's easy for us to read the Christmas story and sort of keep it at 30,000 and miss the fact that God came for us. Together. Now, you, you probably don't remember the gift that you got last year or any of the gifts that you got last year, likely because it was maybe a bit impersonal. Would that be safe to bet? You can't remember like one more polo shirt or shower gel because it like just meant nothing. Like, have you ever opened a gift from someone and you, did, you didn't say it out loud, but you opened it and the very first thought you had was not even close? Anyone? <laughs> right? But what do we have to say if they're standing right in front of us like, oh, it's so nice. This will go to good use. Or what do we, what do we famously say? It's the thought that counts. Which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Because typically those gifts require very little thought, right? I think we often don't remember the last Christmas or the one before that or the gifts there because the gifts were likely a little impersonal. In contrast... When people do give relationally, we remember, we pay attention. We think about who they are and what they care about. Our very own uh, Mike Charta has a great story about this. You guys know Mike? Mike is our facilities guru. He keeps this place humming. And when asked a couple of weeks ago about uh, the most memorable gift from last year, he of course couldn't remember. But then he began to tell a story about a few years ago when his family decided to not give gifts to everybody, but to pick names and to make one gift for the name that they pulled. And he began to tell this beautiful story about this woodworking that his, his dad had made for him. And we asked him, how, how long ago was that? And he's like, oh, it was like five years ago. It's like five years ago. But that stands out. It was personal. It was intentional. It had deep meaning to him. We have another story from our own uh, Sherry Banky. You all know Sherry? Sherry's on our small groups team and kills it. Here's what she said. She said, long before Pinterest gave us all the ability to be Martha Stewart, I gave my 13-year-old daughter a scrapbook. 
but it wasn't just any old scrapbook. I purchased a blank scrapbook and removed the pages and then mailed a single scrapbook page to my close girlfriends and my daughter's aunts and cousins and grandmothers. We're not from this area, so all of our relatives and my close friends live in other states and cities, but I shipped off the pages and gave some very simple instructions on creating a page for my daughter, such as best advice or favorite memory with her. So she sent out these pages to the people that are closest to her. And then I enclosed a self-addressed stamp envelope and asked each person to return the page by a certain date so I could reassemble the scrapbook and present it to her. Oh, it was precious. The scrapbook is such a snapshot in time, even down to the scrapbook itself with 35 millimeter photos hand cut into fun shapes and stickers. I know we often fear our teenagers will balk at the thought of receiving a personal gift for Christmas, but I love that even several years later, my daughter will still say it's the most memorable gift she's ever received. And she takes it out and looks at it often. Now again, I'm, I'm not going Scrooge on y'all to say like, let's not buy any gifts that some of you are like, I'm, I'm already done with my shopping. How many of you are already done with your shopping today? Yeah, you, you guys are better people than I am. <clears throat> but what if we conspire together this year to give maybe just one relational gift, one personal gift, one really thoughtful, intentional gift? Because on that very first Christmas God gave the gift of himself. So what else do we see in this relational gift? Number two, we see that God's gift was his presence. God came to be with us. Listen to Matthew here. Listen to what he says. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, what's it say, church? God with us. God with us. He moved into the neighborhood. He put down roots. And when we give of ourselves, we too give of our presence. Think about it. The the gift of presence is pretty powerful, isn't it? Like full disclosure, how many of you have cried at one of those videos of like a parent who was off serving in the military coming back to be with their kids? Anyone cried big old ugly tears watching those? (laughs) I I dare you to, to not cry watching one of those. There's something powerful about someone who is distant coming near, giving of themselves. They weren't holding a toy. They're not usually fanning out cast. Just simply being there has this incredible effect on us. What would it look like to give of our presence? I remember when I was in grade school, uh, before I was homeschooled, I had begun to realize that friends of mine were getting um, money for good grades, and so I thought, that seems like a great business model. I'm going to propose this to my old man. So I approached him. And I said, Father. I didn't call him Father. Father. I have found that my friends are receiving financial donations for good grades. What do I get for my good grades? And without even turning around, my dad said, uh, you get to sleep indoors. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> but what he started to do as a result, he didn't give us money for good grades, but if we had a good semester, he would celebrate by taking us out one-on-one to get some pie at Baker Square. I don't know if we have Baker Square out here, do we? Yeah, Baker Square, I think, is evidence that there is a God and that he loves us. <laughs> Very much. And truthfully, when I was 9, 10, 11, I would have really loved like, some cold, hard cash. When I look back now... 
as a grown adult, those moments are so precious, so special. And like, I mean, the pie cost probably a couple of bucks. But what stands out in my mind is that my, my dad gave of himself. He gave of his presence. We sat, just the two of us, and we shared stories. And we laughed. And we talked. So I, I have to ask, is there someone in your life who longs to experience your presence? My guess is, some of you in this room are probably already thinking of names and faces. You maybe made a note for yourself, like, I have to call this person. Who this Christmas season is longing just to be with you, but you're so busy doing all the Christmas stuff that you're missing it. We can give a relational gift like that first Christmas gift when we give the gift of presents. Another thing that we see in this relational gift is that God's gift was pricey. It was costly. The Apostle Paul writes about what God's gift cost him here in Philippians. This is what he says. Speaking of Jesus, he said, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Some translations read grasped, something to be clung to. Rather, here's what he did instead of clinging to the glory that was already his. He made himself nothing. This is called the kenosis hymn. It literally means to empty something out. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Make no mistake, it is worth celebrating baby Jesus in the manger, but we must not forget what it ultimately cost him. For God to step from infinity into humanity was not a social experiment. It wasn't a quick tour of planet Earth. He gave of himself. Giving relationally cost Jesus everything. And it may or may not cost us more money to give this way, but it may cause us to give more time more creativity, more thoughtfulness. If we're going to say that it's the thought that counts, how about we conspire together to actually be thoughtful in the way that we give? And here's the other piece. Many of you probably already know this. Paying this kind of price is also risky, isn't it? You ever given a gift that it was clear that the person was not that pleased with it? What if the gift is misunderstood? What if it's not appreciated? What if it's rejected entirely? The truth is, giving relationally was risky for Jesus. And it might be risky for us. But he was willing to pay the price so that we might know love. Isn't that what gift giving is supposed to be all about? Particularly at Christmas, shouldn't our gift giving be an expression of love for one another? Let's not miss Christmas this year. Let's give gifts that are personal. Let's give gifts of presents. Let's not be afraid of gifts that are pricey, that cost us time, effort, and creativity. What, imagine this with me. What if next year we shot a video just like the one we saw and we asked our loved ones, what's the most memorable gift that you got last year? 
Imagine watching that here and watching our closest friends and family, watching their eyes light up. Like, let me tell you about the most memorable gift I received last year. Can you imagine how powerful that would be? For those closest to us, to know the gift, the power of our presence, of taking the risk of time and effort and creativity. We're going to celebrate together something called communion. And we do this every week. It's one of my very favorite things that we do here. And when we celebrate communion, they'll pass some trays and there'll be a piece of bread and a small cup. I want you just to take those and hold those for a minute. We'll celebrate together in a moment. But let's reflect on the one who before time even existed, was speaking. The one who has always been, the one who is God, who came to live among us, to give the gift of his presence. Before he came to earth, God lived in perfect community. In fact, listen how the author of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 12. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Okay, so I want you to think about that for a second. Jesus is in heaven in perfect harmony, perfect communion, perfect community. And it says, not for the joy behind him, the joy of what it was like dwelling in perfect harmony in heaven. He says the joy, what? The joy set before him. What was before him, friends? I would contend it was us. He, He gave himself. He set his eye on the cross for you and for me so that we may know him so that we may know love so that this logos the word the very soul of the universe we would know it's not just a construct but a person not just so that we may go to heaven some years down the road but that we could live in love together here and now what would that look like for us to love others amidst all the craziness, amidst all the sales, amidst all the purchasing, amidst all the scheduling, to give ourselves fully, to give our presence, to give our heart, because you were his joy. You are his joy. And he left the glory of heaven to be with us, to give himself relationally. Let's share in that joy by celebrating the table together. Ushers, you can come.